Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Fanboy Comics Podcast. Of course, this would be our traditional Throwback Thursday episode, technically dropping on a Friday, but because of me having way too much time on my hands, I have been spreading these random episodes out throughout the week, and so I am putting this should be Friday, so maybe we can call this a Flashback Friday episode. Of course, we are following these six books that we always talk about, that being The Avenging Spider-Man, the Daredevil run by Brewbreaker, as well as the Brewbreaker run of the X-Men Deadly Genesis. That would be our Marvel books, and then our three DC books would be Green Arrow by Kevin Smith. Uh, it would be... Oh my gosh, I almost forgot. Nightwing by Chuck Dixon, and Justice League by Jeff Johns and the New 52. Now... Uh, now that I'm really getting a feel for these books, I kind of want to add some more. I don't know if I will put that on a separate podcast, name it something else. I'm not quite sure yet. I do know that me and Mark at the Comic Book Legion podcast are going to be talking about uh, a Marvel book, one or two, on our show now that this whole quarantine thing has kept uh, publishers from releasing new books. And I also know that uh, me and Juice on the Batman News Weekly podcast are going to be uh, looking at Batman stories on the DC Universe. So I kind of want to wait to see what they're going to do, and then we can decide here what books we uh, I might talk about. But let's go ahead and get started. Before we do, though, please thank you. Well, I want to say thank you first. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I absolutely love that I'm able to share my thoughts about these awesome stories to you guys. Uh, please uh, like the podcast, subscribe if you can, and also share the podcast if you can. Uh, I'm wanting to, you know, have this small community grow, and I need your help doing it. So please share the podcast for me. That would help so much. Now let's go ahead and get started. Our first book, as always, is going to be Avenging Spider-Man. Alright, so Avenging Spider-Man number 5. Of course, the last book we talked about was... Uh, number four with Hawkeye, and the really cool thing about this, uh, the previously page where it shows like what happened before this, uh, everything is kind of like I guess marked out and like scribbled on, and everything was replaced with notes by Hawkeye, and the credits where it says writer, artist, inker, colorist, all that is all marked out, and it says Hawkeye. Uh, really, really funny, really cool. Uh, you don't really see much of that anymore uh, outside of a Deadpool book, so seeing that here uh, gave me a really big smile on my face. But let's go ahead and jump into this. This story, of course, is with Spider-Man and Captain America. The overall story here is basically Peter finds out that there is a creative side of Captain America. When he was a child, he did like to draw, and... With this, you know, it kind of inspires Spider-Man to try to bring that out of Captain America now. The only thing is, Captain America is hesitant to do this because he even says here, uh, let's say, he, he says, in the very beginning, uh, he says, I was a kid when I drew these. I think we'll all agree it wasn't my calling. I gave it up a long time ago. And... You know, uh, the team, the Avengers team, uh, they go out to fight the Serpent Society uh, because it does connect to the previous book that we talked about with Hawkeye. Uh, and Spider-Man is really, really quickly uh, eager 
to team up with Captain America because, like I said, he wants to learn a little bit more about him. He wants to try to poke those, you know, buttons to get Captain America's creative side uh, back out. And, you know, he's kind of being annoying, kind of bothersome. And at one point, you know, Captain America does kind of snap at him uh, on the field and at, you know, the Avengers headquarters or the Avengers mansion. Uh, You know, there comes a point where Spider-Man was actually able to find uh, or purchase the uh, piece of art that they were talking about in the very beginning of this book. Uh, And, you know, Captain America's like, where'd you get this? How much money did you spend? You didn't have to do this. And Peter's just very enthusiastic about it. But finally, uh, Captain America says... uh, that page was drawn by a kid, a weak, sick kid who thought that that was the only way he could help his country make his mark. That was a future I saved, I was saved from, and I don't draw adventures, I'm a soldier. You know, I have those adventures, basically. And he says, uh, do you still play with your first commission sh- uh, set? And Peter is really quickly, you know, and disappointedly saying no. And... He says, Captain America says, uh, would you want to go back and being a kid knows in a book when he wasn't being tossed around by bullies? Uh, would you want to be that kid again? Uh, and Peter says, that's that's the whole point I'm trying to make. Like, he never stopped being a kid. He never stopped being that nerd. And he even said, uh, you know, he apologizes for lying. And Cap's like, what do you mean? He's like, I do have my first chemistry set and I do still play with it and the next thing you know peter is grabbing his chemistry set and you know attempting to throw it away and this kind of hurt me you know this is something that parker clearly had and was a big part of his you know fond memories as a kid and to be one of the you know one of the cool guys you know with captain america he's wanting to throw that part of him away kind of and that really upset me but to see what happens next like really warmed my heart uh before he could really toss it uh captain america comes up uh to peter with a you know big thing of paper and he was like hey uh i was trying to get back into this and i need some help and parker actually got like sat down looked at the character uh you know there was a little bit of some cheesiness in here talking about how uh uh, cross-stitching and kind of getting a little meta with it but I I really enjoyed this part because this showed some really heart some real good heart from Peter and from Steve Rogers Captain America uh, near the end here and you know eventually basically Peter was successful in bringing out that creative side in Captain America now I would love to see if there was you know anything that came from this uh, and books afterward, you know, did anybody play around with that creative side of Captain America? Uh, and if they did, you know, how exactly did it work out? But I am still enjoying this book. Uh, it is very much a team up book. You know, I got really upset with Hawkeye, uh, the free fall book that is, you know, regularly coming out now because it was basically announced and looked like a, you know, a regular solo book. While this, Avenging Spider-Man, kind of came out as a team-up book. First with the story with Hulk, now the whole, the story with some Avengers, 
The next one looks like he's going to be teaming up with uh, Punisher and Daredevil. That's going to be fun. But yeah, I'm really enjoying this book. Uh, once you know all of this is said and done as far as the coronavirus, the quarantine, and everything else, I could very much see myself trying to find the uh, the actual trade of Avenging Spider-Man and owning it for myself. I think that would be pretty cool. But let's go ahead and move on to our second book, that being Daredevil number 86. Man, talk about how shit hits the fan. This book, this issue, shit hit the fan really quickly. Now, of course, Murdoch is still in prison. You know, there isn't quite a, you know, from what we see in the beginning, we start to see it a little bit more near the end that, man, Murdoch does have an endgame for getting him outside of prison, himself out of prison anyway. But right here at the very beginning, we are, well, for me as a new reader of Daredevil, uh, I'm introduced to this character, Mia. I don't know her last name, but I know that now I know that her and Murdoch had some sort of relationship. Mia clearly loves him and he clearly cares about her. And so he... In the middle of a conversation with, I believe, uh, what is the person that brought Mia? Uh, Becky Blake. In the middle of a conversation with Becky Blake, uh, he catches a, you know, a conversation a few floors down, and he immediately gets the guard on the phone that that is with Mia and Becky, and he says, like he he doesn't necessarily you know say it verbally, but he does say that he's going to do something to him if he doesn't get these two onto the boat and onto land uh, for their safety. Uh, we see that Kingpin is looking pretty chill, you know, being back in Gen Pop, and he gives these cards that he's playing with to. Gosh, what is his name? I keep forgetting his this guy's name. Uh, he's basically a lackey for uh, Kingpin. We saw him earlier in the other issues, but his name's Turk. That's what it is, Turk. He gives Turk uh, these cards, and immediately in my mind, I was like, oh, crap, that's Bullseye, because we remember that at the end of one issue, like I believe two issues back, uh, freaking Bullseye was being uh, pulled in through like a straitjacket and all this stuff. But Murdoch, you know, after the conversation with me and Becky, he's slowly walking back to Gen Pop. The guard is actually kind of getting pissed off that he's walking so slow, but he's actually just buying time because, you know, he is listening to everything that's going on on the island. He can hear Mia and Becky, you know, finally getting outside the gate. He can then hear some guards helping inmates grab guns, loading them up with bullets. Then he finally hears Mia and Becky get onto uh, the boat that will get them back to New York. And that's when Murdoch makes his move. He knocks out the guard that he was with, and before anything else can happen you know a giant riot breaks loose in gen pop everybody has guns they're killing inmates they're basically all hell is breaking loose and 
Murdoch actually takes the time to go all the way to where the warden is and his assistant and saves them. There was two inmates that were about to shoot them and Murdoch saves them. And he says, you find a place with, uh, find some guards that you trust and go to your, uh, what does it say? The security station and call the riot squad, you know, and he's going to go keep a promise and that promise is with kingpin so before any of that we do see bullseye we see him getting freed but we also see matt kicking ass inside the cells finally getting to the point where he is next to kingpin and they are just plowing through all of this waves of inmates because of course there is a price on kingpin and murdoch they all want a piece of that and so all these inmates are just fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting. And at this play, at this point, Murdoch is basically just saying like he can't, like he is disoriented, but he knows that there's a wall and behind him. So that means everybody else has to be in front of him. So he's just swinging, kicking, bashing, whatever he has to do to keep these guys off him and keep these guys from killing him. And before long, enters freaking Bullseye. Bullseye kills, uh, ends up killing freaking uh, Carlos and throws him over the freaking uh, like third floor balcony and lands right in front of Matt and Kingpin. And it looks like Bullseye is actually on their side. Kingpin actually hired Bullseye, of course. That's why he was the one that gave him the cards. And we do see from the warden... You know, him pulling up the pieces that, you know, maybe this is the FBI's fault. Uh, and, you know, he has Murdoch to thank for, you know, saving his life. But basically, Kingpin is telling Murdoch, okay, Bullseye's on our side. We're going to get clear here, and then we're all going to leave the island together. Murdoch's not having that. Murdoch cannot allow Bullseye to leave prison because out of everybody who's in there... He definitely deserves it. He deserves to be in there. And basically provokes and fights Bullseye and is able to dodge one of the gun blasts that uh, Bullseye is trying to shoot Murdoch. He jumps and actually shoots Kingpin right in the knee, uh, leaving them both basically stranded because he does end up beating the crap out of Bullseye and knocking him out. Uh, and he leaves Kingpin there. But he grabs one of the guns and he starts walking off. He does see uh, Turk again. He's like, don't worry about me. Uh, go help your, your, you know, freaking your boss. and Make sure he doesn't bleed out. Now, Murdoch does go to the Punisher, Frank Castle's cell. And right outside his cell, you see four people. Four people just lying there dead. And Murdoch's just reading a book. <laughs> and he's like, hey, uh, you've been busy. And, uh, well, not Murdoch, sorry, Frank. Frank is just reading a book, and Murdoch says, oh, well, you've been busy. He's like, yeah, uh, not doing much of anything right now. Uh, what's that gun for? And Murdoch says, well, it's for you. I figured you would want it if you're going to help me get out of here. And Frank says, I thought you'd never ask. And that's the end of the book. This is awesome. It looks like the next issue is going to be the confrontation between Murdoch and this other daredevil. That's going to be fun. 
Uh, I'm really enjoying this. Brubaker's style of writing and just his uh, his story overall with this prison is really, really awesome. You know, it really much it very much reminds me of a recent uh, TV show, that being, of course, Arrow. How uh, freaking Oliver was stuck in prison. And that was boring. It really was. You know, there wasn't really anything much going on in there. But, you know, that very last episode where he escaped or he was able to walk out. That's when, you know, shit hit the fan and it started getting good. That's basically what this is. And I really do enjoy that. Uh, but I did enjoy, you know, the the stuff prior to that. Brubaker does an excellent job with this uh, character study-esque with uh, Murdoch. So let's go ahead and jump to our last Marvel book of the, uh, of the day. I, I, I was going to say the week, but we're still continuing this on every single day. Uh, well, every other day, it seems like. Let's go ahead and jump into X-Men Deadly Genesis number 5. The next time we talk about this, it'll be the last book of the uh, miniseries. And we'll have to pick another book. I was talking to Mark. If he doesn't choose a Thor book, we may actually jump into an old school Thor uh, to be reading in this book but or in this podcast but we will see man i feel like i have to sneeze and it's not because of the corona guys i swear i just have allergies i may have put a little too much pepper in the eggs that i ate this morning but i really need to sneeze and i don't want to sneeze all right let's go ahead and talk about deadly genesis number five so i really like this book i like i really really liked the cliffhanger that uh, was left at the end of this issue now of course we are you know still dealing with Vulcan uh, and his imprisonment of Cyclops and Rachel at this facility that they have technically both been to but they don't really remember Vulcan remembers everything Cyclops does not he's starting to and he does show that here but uh, we do open up with uh, the analysis center uh, of national emergency they're the ones that are in control of the centuries you know they can find they are able to find the uh, energy signature that Vulcan has and you know they do confront him Vulcan completely fucks up this century and with ease with with you know super ease and with him distracted with this century uh, Cyclops does tell Rachel to go find the other X-Men to help them out. Now, uh, the X-Men are at the X-Mansion trying to figure out what they should be doing, what they need to do in order to help, uh, you know, find these missing X-Men, that being Rachel and Cyclops, and what to do with this new X-Men, this Omega-level X-Men, uh, or mutant, uh, Vulcan. And this is when, you know, Cyclops is not fully, you know, what's the word? He is not convinced that, you know, this mutant is his brother. Uh, so he keeps denying that a whole bunch throughout this book. And Vulcan is just like fed up with, you know, hey, I'm tired of trying to tell you these things. Uh, I'm going to get the source to tell you immediately. And that whole fight with the Sentry was broadcast onto the news uh, and did bring a familiar face to uh, this peer, or this uh, 
uh, beach that now Vulcan and Cyclops are at, that being Professor X. Uh, he is walking again. Uh, somehow, this now this book, finding out about this, this book is very much, and we knew this a little bit uh, when uh, I believe by like issue two, I had said this. This takes place after uh, Avengers vs. X-Men, uh, the whole thing with uh, Scarlet Witch saying no more mutants, blah, blah, blah. Uh, freaking uh, Professor X is walking again somehow. He was, you know, he, he was basically made new again with uh, with a new body, with a new leg. Well, not a new body, but with basically a working body. And the X-Men do appear uh, with freaking Nightcrawler, Emma Frost, Wolverine. Wolverine and Nightcrawler are almost immediately put out of commission by Vulcan, uh, but the rest of the X-Men, that being Beast, Iceman, Havoc, Cyclops, Kitty Pride, and Rachel, they're ready to fight and ready to take down this guy. Uh, but, you know, Vulcan immediately tells Professor X to tell them the truth and to show them, you know, what the truth is. And, you know, Professor X starts to say, you know, his, you know, his truth, you know, speaking, and Vulcan's super mad. He's like, no, 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 you need to show them, show them exactly how you showed me, meaning use your telepathy. And this is where the bomb is dropped on us. Professor Xavier says, I wish I could. But I assume in some way Wanda Wanda Maximoff gave me back the use of my legs because she wanted to show me what being a cripple really was because I can't use telepathy. I'm not a mutant anymore. And it says to be continue or to be concluded. And there is a small uh story about, you know, Emma Frost and the meeting of Emma Frost and Professor X. So this next issue I will say uh, I love the cover of uh, Mark Silvestri. It just looks amazing. Uh, he also did the cover for the current book that we're reading, uh, issue number five. Uh, but it, it gets me really excited to read this conclusion and to start reading some more Marvel books in this Marvel Unlimited app. Um, I'm really liking the story of the X-Men. To be completely honest, when it comes to the X-Men versus the Avengers, not the actual book, but just the two teams, I much more, I much prefer the uh, the 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 X-Men other than the Avengers. Yes, you know Captain America is cool, and you know the uh, characters in the Avengers really you know go in and out, and there's always a new team. And there's a team for anybody who wants to, you know, read, you know, a Spider-Man Avengers team or wants to read a Black Panther Avengers team or whoever wants to read an Avengers team with Beast. You know, there's a lot of books out there that have different teams or team uh, members that you can be like, ah, I don't like that one. I don't like that one. I want to read that one. X-Men, there's just a whole bunch of characters and there's a whole bunch of stories. Uh, you know, they were one of the first uh, teams out there and they're awesome. I, I love what they have been through, uh, how they have overcome. And to be honest, I do like the school aspect of it. That's why I loved uh, what was the Strange Academy recently that came out that's why i loved it so much because it has that kind of like harry potter or like high school type feel to it where kids are getting to learn their powers uh, but yeah 
that's going to be our Marvel portion of the episode. Let's go ahead and move towards our DC with our first book. I believe we always start with Green Arrow. So let's go ahead and go to Green Arrow number five. All right, guys. I just found out that there is 15 episodes. 15 episodes. 15 issues of Kevin Smith on this whole run of green arrow now he might come back i'm not entirely sure i didn't go that far uh but i wanted to see how much he wrote from the beginning to you know finally it goes off to another reader and there's 15 issues 15 we're on number five we have 10 more to go and i don't know if i can do this i don't know i don't know i want to like this book you know there's still a lot of interesting concepts but just the the really big thing is the evolution of writing has dramatically changed dramatically from how even how Kevin Smith was writing i guess you know now compared to then even though he is the same writer his writing style has definitely changed because he's had to keep up with modern times now, this book is very much a product of its time. It's not very good. It's not great, you know. Like I said, I still enjoyed the concept of it. Uh, but let's go ahead and move on. I don't want to keep harping on this. Uh, we open up with a small scene with Jason Blood. He's going to be introduced later as, of course, Etrigan. But more so, we are basically at the Batcave where uh, we didn't leave off there, but we saw, you know, Batman wanting answers for this whole Green Arrow thing back at the Watchtower. So he gra he punched him unconscious and then grabbed him and left. Now, of course, he is at the Batcave with Stephanie, and he is examining thoroughly through Oliver's, you know, unconscious body and recognizing that, you know, his body is basically... Uh, unharmed through the years of being Green Arrow, which is, you know, something that is very odd because there's a lot of things that has happened to Ollie. That being, you know, Black Canary broke his wrist, Poison Ivy uh, at one point, uh, what was it? Uh, burned, uh, uh, you know, Chemical burned his, you know, the back of his, you know, his back. And then. Uh, even at one point he was shot through the chest, you know, very, very close to the heart. And, you know, Batman is just not convinced this is the real Oliver Queen. Oliver Queen does wake up, socks him one right in the freaking jaw, and is, like, wondering, you know, what the hell he is doing to him. And, you know, after Ollie gets dressed... You know, Batman shows him the files of the Daily Planet article, you know, talking about the obituary of Green Arrow, and even shows him the last scene of basically Final Night when Oliver killed Hal, or better known as Parallax Hal. Uh, but, you know, still, Oliver is not fully convinced. He's convinced that there's definitely some lost time but not that he was technically dead so he wants to find that out 
with Batman. We see a small little glimpse of Mia in here again. Uh, she's getting bored out of her mind, but she ends up finding a, a random bow and some arrows, and she sets up a target at the uh, the roof of you know her apartment building, or Stanley's apartment building, really. And before she can really start shooting, uh, Diana, or Dinah, sorry, I keep wanting to say Diana. Uh, Dinah and uh, Roy are actually there, and they want to, you know, have they have some questions. Now, Oliver and Bruce do go to the old Queen Estate, and, you know, trying to get Oliver to remember some stuff. And he does remember a lot of stuff with this building. But, you know, there's one particular part here where, you know, Bruce finally sees, okay, this is where your memory stops. At least we have a starting point from there. Let's see if we can find some answers. And before they can really move on with their investigation, Etrigan comes out of nowhere uh, with some horrible, horrible rhymes by Kevin Smith. And it says, to be continued. Uh, like I said, I'm not really digging the Kevin Smith Green Arrow stuff, but I'm hoping that it will get better and that I can get through all the way to uh, Brad Meltzer's uh, issue 16 and really, really start enjoying it from there. But let's go ahead and move on to the next book being Nightwing number five. Now, although Nightwing is my favorite character in almost my favorite character in the DC Universe, I would say number two, uh, it would be Superman, then Nightwing, uh, favorite character in the DC Universe. I will say this book has been the hardest to follow. Uh, there is a lot going on. And yet, I still don't know what the fuck is going on, you know? Uh, right now, uh, this whole issue is basically a fight between Lady Vic and Nightwing. Uh, on the boat, they're trying to... Uh, Lady Vic is trying to, uh, you know, basically kill people to get paid. She is a lady, uh, an assassin for hire. While Nightwing is trying to get some information from this guy. Uh, now... You know, it does basically turn into a standoff, and they both end up losing, Lady Vic and Nightwing, because they don't get what they want entirely. Uh, you know, Nightwing has to end up saving these people from Lady Vic, and basically what ends up happening, uh, that that is basically, it is a giant fight, the entire issue. Uh, that's basically the whole thing, but near the end... Uh, Nightwing does go to his morning job as a bartender. Uh, doesn't get a whole lot of that. Just you know, they just wanted to show you that he is making his, you know, keeping up his appearances as Dick Grayson, while uh, Lady Vic and it looks like Soames or Sm I keep forgetting how to, you know, this detective's last name is so annoying to try to announce or pronounce. Uh, Soames, S-O-A-M-E-S, Soames. Uh, he is actually going to be working with Lady Vic. Uh, gave her $5 million, uh, you know, for this whole thing that's going down with Nightwing. And, uh, yeah, it actually looks like Lady Vic is heading on to Gotham because you see her in normal civilian clothing uh, at a banquet or whatever. And she is introduced to Bruce Wayne. 
so it looks like Nightwing next issue will be heading back to Gotham, probably teaming up with Bruce and possibly Robin, uh, Batman and Robin. Uh, but yeah, uh, that is basically it. You know, these uh, Nightwing books or these Nightwing issues, uh, although, like I said, one of my favorite characters in the DC Universe, uh, very quick reads and nothing really happens other than like one major fight and some small little details. I'm hoping that maybe, you know, we can push through this and it get a little bit better or we may move on to another uh, book and then quite possibly after that, you know, jump into Nightwing, you know, from New 52 or quite possibly Rebirth. It really depends. But let's go ahead and move on to our last book of the day, that being Justice League number 13. We are still dealing with the stuff with Cheetah, but let's go ahead and go on to that book right now. Now, in the last issue, we did leave off where Cheetah actually bit Superman and now he is part cheetah or he is infected with the cheetah and he is basically here in the beginning of issue number 14 uh, fighting the Justice League now uh, this tribe that they were looking for uh, in you know looking for answers for cheetah and everything else uh, they actually showed up and they were able to use some sort of horn to disorient Superman and uh, Cheetah actually runs away because of it. Now, Batman is questioning, you know, what in the world was that? And the one thing that bothers me here is there's no interaction from the tribe to the Justice League in these one, two, three panels from where she, where the tribe leader uses the horn. Now, the very first panel on the fourth page Batman asks what did uh, that horn do to Superman and Cyborg says Hera created some kind of ultrasonic sound so he already knows the name of the tribe leader even though they haven't talked this is absolutely something that you know I guess Jeff Johns messed up on but it definitely doesn't make any sense here uh, to know their names without actually talking to them but anyway I digress uh, they're using supersonics to subdue Superman for the time being. Batman has the rest of the league uh, go find Cheetah while he talks with the tribe. Now, uh, Cyborg, uh, there there is some sort of like language barrier between the tribe and the leaguers, of course. So they use Cyborg to translate everything. Uh, and they're basically explaining how uh, how the cheetah worked with their tribe, basically. At one point, uh, the cheetah was something of a partner with the tribe in the sense of somebody was bestowed the power of the cheetah to help the hunt. Uh, and eventually, this woman... Uh, which I guess was uh, the leader's mother, was the cheetah, and she was inevitably killed by a hunter with the God Slayer. We have heard this term before. Uh, Wonder Woman had the God Slayer sword. This is called the God Slayer, uh, but it was originally a knife. Uh, this knife uh, was uh, what was used to kill uh, the cheetah, and it infected the knife, cursing and haunting this hunter. Eventually, the knife was lost, and it became uh, 
the 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 next time you saw it basically was uh Barbara Minerva's was in Barbara Minerva's possession. Eventually, she was the one that uh, got the curse of the well now it's a curse of the cheetah and basically saying that you know what in they basically end up you know capturing cheetah basically and it's the 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 way they do it is they throw cheetah into this lake or yeah it looks like a lake and aquaman is actually deep underneath it and has all these piranhas surrounding them visually looks very terrifying uh so of course cheetah had to uh submit because knowing arthur uh, Aquaman, he would have definitely said, yeah, just eat her. It's fine. But they end up capturing her. She's in a cage. It looks like they're at the watchtower. And, you know, Diana, being the woman that she is, she thinks anybody and everybody can be saved. So there's still some hope for Cheetah. Now, right before it moves on to the Justice League, talking about Barbara, uh, Minerva, the, the Cheetah, not Batgirl. <laughs> Uh, you see Cheetah actually talking to somebody, I guess, in like an earpiece or whatever. But she mentions, uh, just tell me when Black Manta will arrive. And so it sounds like the Legion of Doom wanted this to happen. And so we will get them pretty soon. Now, there is a conversation between the Justice Leaguers uh, and Diana, basically saying that Barbara Minerva has several different aliases and they were all criminals basically saying that the tribe leader was correct in saying that the cheetah didn't curse uh, Barbara. Barbara cursed the cheetah. So that is something new. I did not know this at all. Now, this may be something that was just for the New 52 lore of the cheetah because, of course, this is a brand new timeline, brand new world. Uh, and Diana feels very ashamed of her... Uh, being naive to all of this and Batman is saying like no you you were compassionate you love everybody you see the best in everybody and that's something that I strive to do and so he actually takes her to Smallville uh, they eat at a diner then they go to the Kent farm he shares a little bit of his life with her and then inevitably they do kiss and it looks like somebody's keeping surveillance on them and that is See, I thought it was somebody like Darkseid again or the Legion of Doom. No, it is Batman. And it says, next, the War of the Throne of Atlantis. Now, this was pretty cool. Um, I got to learn something new as far as the Cheetah is concerned. And, you know, I always wanted to see the relationship with Diana and Superman. Now, when I first saw it, you know, way back in the day in, you know, 2011... I was very hesitant because I'm a hardcore Superman fan saying, no, the only person that should ever be in love with Superman is Lois Lane. You know, I was one of those guys, but I was open to the relationship because I understand where Wonder Woman comes from. I understand where Superman comes from. So organically, it really does make sense. So I'm really excited to see where this goes. And I wouldn't be, you know, uh, I would I can see myself, you know, reading the Superman Wonder Woman book that eventually did come out, you know, several years after this. But let's go ahead and end it there. Thank you guys so much for 
uh, listening all the way through. I love you guys so much. Please, like I said, subscribe and share the podcast. Um, I'm really enjoying these days that I have to record these things. Hopefully, I do. Well, not hopefully. Unfortunately, I do have to go back to work because, of course, you know, they think we're essential. And I've ran out of six day sick days as of, I believe, Saturday of, you know, this upcoming Saturday. That will be my last day here at home. And then I have to go back to work. Hopefully, though, I can start, you know, every day coming back and recording and keeping on to this schedule of releasing something every single day. That would be awesome. Uh, until we start going back to normal. Or unless, you know, you guys are enjoying this day-to-day releases, I can definitely start doing that. But with that, guys, thank you so much again. I cannot say that enough. Uh, I will see you guys tomorrow.